are you? We were just talking about a Christmas list. I'm on it. He's getting me some beard oil. He's a good guy, Mark Tinney. Give it up for Mark Tinney. So uh, speaking of Christmas lists, uh, raise your hand if your Christmas list is already completed. Already done? Okay. That's about two of you. That's about two of you. So if you have your Christmas list already done, has it been done for like completed shopping done? Shopping, has it been done for like two weeks? Two weeks? Wow. Anybody like a month? A month? Three weeks, anybody? But two, two weeks. Two weeks over here? Thank you. Can you manage my life for me? Because you're very, very prepared. You're very prepared. And, I, and I'm, I'm really, really glad for you that you're, you're able to get your Christmas list, your Christmas shopping done already. Um, I'll tell you, I made a shopping list the other night on Amazon. I made a cart. And I didn't want to hit this, the, 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 the pay now button because I felt like it was too early to commit. You know what I mean? Because you may change your mind. And we've got, how long do we have to go? Two weeks? Like three weeks? 16 days. 16 days before Christmas is here. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really feel like it's Christmas or I can get into the holiday spirit unless I'm shopping at Target at 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve, right? That's how I get in the holiday spirit. So if you're super prepared, and maybe you'll have your shopping done maybe tomorrow or the next day, don't judge me because I'm just trying to get in the holiday spirit, okay? I'm trying to get in the holiday spirit. So more than any other holiday, Christmas... Thank you, Mark Tinney. Again, the MVP of Alter Church today. Thank you very much. My podium is like my blankie, like my security blankie. Anybody here have a security blankie? Can you, everyone put your hands in the air, please? Everybody? Everybody? Very good. I'm very happy I'm not alone in this. Okay. So more than any other holiday, Christmas is a holiday where we have to be in preparation, right? We got to prepare stuff. Who's going to cook food for your family? Anybody here going to cook food? Okay. Okay. Who's going to Ruby Tuesdays? All right. So if you're not going to Ruby Tuesdays or you're not going to your mom's house, you're going to have to cook some food. So that takes preparation. And there's decorations. Anybody here love to decorate for Christmas? That's good. Good for you guys. Love, love to decorate for Christmas. This year, I had, we had the kids put the Christmas tree up, and um, the decorations are all like four feet or lower. Like the top of the tree. And you think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. And we're just like, all right, that's, that's, that's how it's going to be this Christmas. So there's preparations for decorations. There's gifts. There's food. There's the Christmas shopping. And then you got the whole family thing. Anybody having people come over your house on Christmas? Christmas Eve. Very good. All right. It's all about the family. So there's also preparation in church. We spent five Sundays, or we will spend five Sundays teaching on the Christmas season, the meaning of Christmas, all sorts of other things. This, this uh, sermon series we're in called Here Below. We also play songs that we don't normally play. Who, who here loves Christmas songs? Love Christmas songs. Now, you may not know this, but our worship leader, Aaron John, loves Christmas songs. Aaron, are you around anywhere? Perfect. Now... Aaron, now this is not something we like to advertise, but I'll let you know today that Aaron loves to hear your favorite Christmas songs because he wants to add them to our worship playlist. 
So if you have a certain Christmas song that you want to hear, maybe even next Sunday, Aaron Sweeney at alteredmovement.com, okay? Aaron Sweeney at alteredmovement.com. Aaron Sweeney at alteredmovement.com. And he hates Christmas music. So this is going to be super, super fun. So anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, we do all sorts of preparation for Christmas. And obviously we're having this big Christmas event as well. Like I said, like probably a thousand people and all sorts of toys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of preparation. And we're going to have a Christmas Eve service at Morley Music Hall, which is fantastic. That place is awesome for Christmas Eve. Candle lighting, all the Christmas music, and the, green, and the red stuff, and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's happening. But lots of preparation for Christmas. There's also a lot of preparation in the Christmas narrative itself. As we read about that story when Jesus came to earth, there's some prep work that has to be done. And last week we worked through some of that when we talked about Jesus' family history. This week we're going to do a little bit more of that as we learn about two of the central figures in the Christmas narrative, Mary and Joseph. So this morning we're going to study only eight verses, but in those eight verses... But in those eight verses, there's a ton we can learn, even in just eight verses, not only about God, but in how God relates to us and how we should respond back to him. So if we can just sort of jump right in to Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Again, you can look on the screen. We also use bible.com slash events. You can follow along there. Or if you have it memorized, that's, that's also wonderful as well. No one has it memorized. But if you do, you get a second free coffee cup at the Welcome Center. Let them know. All right, so last week, if you weren't here, we went through the genealogy of Jesus, and I promise it's a lot more exciting than it sounds. There's a lot of really great information there. But the genealogy is not just a bunch of names. It's intended to inform us about Jesus' background. It's intended to tell us a little bit about who he is and the family that he came from and what that meant for him and what it means for us. But it's also intended to build up anticipation for this very special person. And we know that Jesus was a very special person because he had very special ancestors, but also because of the introduction that we get in the, in the very first part of verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Has anybody ever heard that word Messiah before? Have you heard that word before? Messiah? Okay. Does anybody feel super confident that you know what that means? Okay. All right. Has anybody ever heard the word Christ before? Everybody's heard the word Christ. Do you feel super confident you know what the word Christ means? Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. They both mean anointed one. And in verse 18, we learn that Jesus was this anointed one that had been specifically set apart by God, set aside, as we said, to bridge the gap between heaven and earth and give people access to God. So Jesus was the Messiah, and this is how his birth came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So this young woman named Mary was pledged to marry a guy named Joseph, and Mary was probably just a young teenage girl, probably 14 or 15 years old. Joseph may have been the same age, may have been a little older, the Bible doesn't say, but we know Joseph was a carpenter. And they were pledged to be married. Another word that you'll see here in some of these translations is the word betrothed. 
What betrothal is, is a pledge to get married, a commitment to give mar- get married. They still lived with their families. They still live with their parents. So this is pretty similar to being engaged. But there's a sort of contractual aspect to this as well. There was finances involved and, and money is involved. And so you couldn't just break off a betrothal. If you did, there'd be some serious consequences for your two families and probably even in the dynamics of your entire village. So... Mary and Joseph are prepared to get married. They're very serious about it. And things seem pretty routine. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so before Mary and Joseph got married and spent time doing the things that married people do, Mary got pregnant. Now, if you're Joseph, you're going to have a problem with that. Okay? You you just are. It doesn't matter if you live in 3 BC or 2018 or in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Timbuktu or France or Ohio or in Painesville, although Painesville is is in Ohio, you're not going to feel good about it, right? You're going to feel angry. You're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel disappointed. You're going to have all these emotions about it. And maybe you even want to take some revenge, You want to express your hurt in a very public way, you're going to go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. People are going to know what happened. You're going to be texting all your family members. It's going to be be a big thing. Now, the text says that Mary didn't necessarily, no, Mary didn't do anything wrong. The text says Mary didn't do anything wrong. Her child was conceived supernaturally, and she was just as surprised as Joseph. But Joseph, he didn't know that. So he could have very easily demanded that she paid a very severe consequence. Joseph could have had her stoned to death. Is that cruel? Yes. Is it lawful? Yes. But watch what Joseph does. It says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her very quietly. So Joseph was certainly hurt and angry and upset And he was, you know, all the emotions, all the feels. But he didn't want to disgrace her. He wanted to keep this quiet. He didn't want to embarrass her in public. And of course, this is what people generally did. When people people have their feelings hurt, they want other people to know. And so in this case, what Joseph could have done and what people often did do was take the woman and put her in the town center and people would start throwing stones at her. Or they would simply push her off of a small cliff and just drop rocks on top of her head. Okay, this is what people did. This is how people uh, exacted revenge. This is how people were punished back in the day. Or simply, they could have just asked her to leave her hometown. Now, if you're pregnant and you're asked to leave your hometown, what is the likely consequence? You're going to live on the streets. You're going to live in the wilderness. You're going to be homeless. You're probably going to die. Your baby will certainly die. You're not going to be able to eat. Or you can become a prostitute. So this is not necessarily a story that's starting off real well. There's a lot of tension here. We don't know what their conversations looked like. We don't know what Mary said to Joseph and Joseph said to Mary, but you can imagine Mary saying, Joseph, I didn't do anything wrong. And Joseph saying, why are you lying to me? And Joseph saying, I'm going to do the right thing by you, but please don't talk to me. I don't want anything to do with you. I can't believe you'd hurt me in this way. I'm sure this is a very difficult time for them in that early stages of the relationship. Joseph was saying, Mary... 
how could you hurt me in this way? Mary, why would you abandon me? Mary, why would you go back on your agreement? Who is this guy? Why have you done this? And Mary's saying, listen to me, Joseph. I've not done anything wrong. I do love you. I do want to honor you. But Joseph, an angel came to speak to me. Now, we don't see that here in Matthew, but it's true. An angel did come talk to Mary. And it's in the book of Luke. And it says, the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So in other words, Mary, you're about to have a baby and your baby is gonna have the same nature as God and he will rule over all people of all time forevermore. So on one hand, Mary is told by an angel that she is pregnant and this baby is the son of God, which means that she is very blessed. That Mary has been shown a great deal of favor by God. On the other hand, her soon-to-be husband wants to divorce her. And so on one hand, you have blessing. On the other hand, uncertainty and turmoil and fear. Verse 20 says about Joseph, after he had considered this, divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So now it's Joseph's turn. It's Joseph's turn to see an angel. And he says, the first thing the angel says is don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now I wonder why he says, do not be afraid. I wonder why that's the emotion that he chooses to address. Because if I could take a guess at Joseph's emotions, I think he'd probably be feeling some of the things that we mentioned before, anger and hurt and embarrassment and disappointment. And the angel doesn't mention any of these things. He doesn't say, Joseph, do not be embarrassed. Joseph, don't be angry. Joseph, don't be fearful. Or Joseph, don't be, uh, you know, don't try to get, get revenge. Don't be hurt. Don't be angry. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, what would Joseph have to be afraid of? Maybe he's afraid that if he marries Mary, Mary's not going to be faithful to him. Maybe he's afraid that people will find out that the baby doesn't belong to him. Maybe his reputation will suffer. Those things would all be true. But I think it's something else. You know what I think? I think he's afraid because he believes her. I think he's afraid because he knows she's telling the truth. She insists that the angel has appeared to her. She insists that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is to be born through her. She insists that she's supposed to give birth to the promised Messiah that people have been waiting for for thousands of years. This girl that he's grown to love, this girl that he's grown to trust, this girl that he's imagined a future with, this girl he's been waiting for is pleading with him, saying, Joseph, please trust me. And he sees the truth in her eyes. And, and now he sees this angel. And he is afraid because he believes her. The angel says, she will give birth to his son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. 
Now, the angel is corroborating what Mary had claimed. The child will be the savior of the world. And you will call him Jesus, which means savior. Verse 22, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. His name, his name will be Jesus. And Jesus means savior. But we will call him or say about him Emmanuel because God is with us. I'm gonna say this again. His name will be Jesus, which means savior. But we will say about him or call him Emmanuel because God is with us. Don't miss the significance of this. God will save us. How? Through his presence. He will save us by being with us. Salvation comes to us when God is with us. Salvation comes to us when God is with us. C.S. Lewis I'm sure you've heard of C.S. Lewis. He said, God descends and reascends. He goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. It's beautiful. And this is the reality that we know as we sort of look back at Christmas and we read this text, having the benefit of hindsight and perspective. This is the reality that we see. We see that we've seen the story unfold. But Joseph, he's not seen that story unfold. We've seen the promise come to pass. But Joseph, when he saw that angel, all he had was a promise. So it's easy for us to stand back and observe the story in curiosity because we don't feel the strain and the burden. Mary is not the one I'm going to marry. I'm not wondering if she's been faithful to me. I'm not the one talking to an angel. That's Joseph. But Joseph was a real person. Joseph was a real man. Joseph was a guy who went through all this mess. A real person that God had invited into this story of redemption with a promise. Now this promise, and this sort of just blows my mind, required a yes from Joseph. Now think about that. God has been preparing something, preparing something for all of eternity, a way to restore people back to God, a way to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. But he invites Joseph. He invites Joseph into the plan, his decision. If you're theologically minded, this might cause some confusion because God is sovereign, which means that he's in control. And yet, Joseph has a choice. So the creator of the universe, he's unveiling his plan to reach into human history and make a way for human beings to be reconciled back to God, yet he invites and, or involves the choice of a man. Think about that. I don't know the particulars. I don't know how this fits together in, in metaphysical sense and what God is thinking and how, how, how big he is or how involved he is or why he's asked Joseph to say yes or no, but he did. 
He gave Joseph a role in all of this. How will he respond? This is a, a tension point in the story. How will he respond? How will Joseph respond to this angel and this promise that God has set before him? He has a choice to make. This young woman whom he's supposed to marry is pregnant and she cl claims to be giving birth to the son of God and Joseph undoubtedly believes her, but he must face the reality of being the caretaker of the son of God. Think about that pressure, that tension, that burden. What he was facing was a future full of trials. People would not believe them. People would not believe their son. His family would be rejected and scorned and persecuted. His son would be rejected and scorned and persecuted. There'd be pressure and expectations. There'd be fear and there'd be worry and things would never be normal. There'd be no normal lifestyle raising this child. This isn't the normal toddler that you're raising, who's hard enough, by the way. <laughs> as much as he feared all of that, the reality would be worse because Joseph could never have imagined having to go run and hide through the desert from some deranged king named Herod who was trying to kill them. Joseph never would have imagined witnessing the birth of his child in a barn next to animals. He never could have imagined that his son would someday be murdered. He could never have imagined that his son would one day bear the sins of all the world on his shoulders as he died a humiliating death. He could never know that his son would one day rise again. He could never know any of these things. But he had a choice. God had prepared a way, but Joseph had a choice. Yes or no? Yes or no? It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And so Joseph wakes up and he says, yes. He chose to follow the path God had laid out for him. He gets married his wife has this child, they name him Jesus, and Joseph claims him as his own. It's a good story. It's a great story. One of the foundational stories of Christmas. Now when we read the scriptures, and you'll hear this from me every time I preach, when you read the scriptures, we always want to be able to apply these to what we're doing as we live, Right? This book is transcendent. It means something for all of us. So there's always principles that we can take and apply to our own lives. So I'd like to do that with this story. I think there's two approaches that we can take. The first approach, and I think is probably the easier approach and likely the preferred approach is to take this story and the highlights of this story, uh, let's see, the faith of Mary and uh, the integrity of Joseph the adventure, the uncertainty, the obedience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and add all of these to what we would commonly know the spirit of the Christmas story. In other words, the principle of this story, the principles of the story, Mary and Joseph and faith and obedience and, and, and uncertainty and following God, all those sorts of things, 
will become for you just part of the overall story that you tell your kids or your grandkids or the people of work when they ask you what Christmas means. You'll say something like Christmas is not all about presents. Christmas is about Mary and Joseph and the integrity of Joseph and their faith and the adventure and the uncertainty and their obedience to God. But it will really lack any sort of meaning, right? We'll just sort of call this the spirit of Christmas. Now, it's easy to do this, and I think that we often do because we can't really relate to that story on a personal level. Okay, like I've, I, I've never, I didn't get married at 14 years old, okay? I don't live in, 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 in the first century AD, okay? I, I don't have conversations with angels. I don't know anybody who has had a child by the Holy Spirit. If you have, come talk to me after church. I'd like to ask some questions over coffee. We don't live in an era where stoning people is acceptable, So it's very difficult for us to relate to Mary and Joseph. So it's very easy for us to apply these scriptures in a way that is very superficial and shallow. So instead of coming away from these passages saying, this is how God is speaking to me through this passage, we come away saying things like, oh, isn't Christmas special? Isn't this a beautiful story? Boy, Mary and Joseph sure were wonderful. Now, all these things are true. Christmas is special. It's a beautiful story. And Mary and Joseph are wonderful. But when we stop here, we're missing the most important part of the story. And this is how it directly applies to our lives. And so this is where that second approach of application is going to come into play. And far fewer people will want to take this approach because it has the potential to change everything about everything in your life. Because while these verses are about the faith of Mary and the integrity of Joseph and the adventure and the obedience and all that sort of stuff, ultimately what these passages are teaching us is that God, and if you take notes, you want to write this down, you want to take this real serious, listen up, okay? What this passage is teaching us is that God is intensely focused on accomplishing his purposes in the world through the participation of his people. Let that really sink in. Think about that. Think about that. God wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through people like us. And we understand that, and we let that sink in, we begin to ask the question, does that mean me? Does God want to accomplish his purpose through me? Does he want to use me? Does he want me to say yes? Does God want me to participate? We start asking ourselves that question. We always reach this inevitable conclusion that the answer is yes. Yes. God is intensely focused on accomplishing his purposes in the world through the participation of me. 
God is intensely focused on accomplishing his purposes in the world through the participation of you. Of you. And you. And you. And those little boys walking down the aisle. And Aaron John in the back. Aaron Sweeney at alteredmovement.com. And you. And you. And you. This is an equal opportunity challenge for every single one of us. It's, not, it's, it's blind to social status. It's blind to race. It's blind to ethnicity or popularity or gender. Whenever God wants to insert himself into this world, he's going to use people to achieve his purposes. God will empower us in the work. God will move ahead of us in the work. God will prepare the ground for the work. He will bless us in the work. He will guide us in the work. He will join us in the work, but he's asking us to work. He's asking us to work where there's injustice. He's asking us to work where there's heartbreak. He's asking us to work where there is poverty. He's asking us to work where there are prisons. He's asking us to work where there are hospitals. He's asking us to work in the gym. I'm not talking about lifting them weights. Brian Santos, that's what he's writing right now on Instagram. Pastor says, God wants me to work in the gym. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your relationships with the people that you encounter at the gym and at home. He's asking us to do the work in the cubicle and on the bus or in the dugout, wherever he has you, that's where he's asking you to do the work. And the work we're doing is a work of love. It's a work of radical generosity. It's a work of courage. It's a work of mentorship. It's a work of care. It's a work of saying yes, and that yes is likely to be followed by a blessing, but then hardship, and probably more hardships after that, and then more yeses, and more challenges. But all the while, feeling the great encouragement of his presence and his approval. Now, I want you to be clear if I haven't made it clear already, <laughs> that this means all of us, right? All of us. And yes, the pastor, yes, the, the, the guy who plays the music, yes, the, the missionaries, like the Ruples who were up here last week, but also the 23-year-old girl who never really comes to church or the 48-year-old guy who's just here to make his wife happy or the person who's walked through the door for the first time or the person who sits in the same spot every single Sunday, week after week. The work is for all of them, all of us. It's for the teacher and the banker. It's for the student. It's for the insurance salesman. The work is for you. Everyone for you. If you're sitting in a red chair, it's for you. If you're standing up in the back, it's for you. If you're at home sleeping right now and don't even know who Jesus is, it's for you. The work is for all of you, and as you do it, what will happen is it will begin to disrupt your priorities. It will begin to totally transform your life. It will soften your heart. It will help you see the world through the lens of grace, 
and it will help you fall in love with Jesus. And I'm telling you, I promise you, when you get there, when you get in that spot where you start doing the work, where you start partnering with God, when you start saying yes, when you start realizing that the space you're in is just the space you're in right now, and the space where he wants you is a step ahead, it's a step up, it's a challenge, it's a sacrifice. When you get there and you start doing that, that's when your life begins. You hear me? That's when your life begins. When you get to that place of saying yes to God, when you start responding to God with yes, that's when you're going to start living a life of abundance. And then I'm talking about true joy, true contentment, truly living with purpose in your calling. That's what I'm talking about. When you start saying yes, you're going to start living. When you start saying yes, you're going to start understanding what joy is. And here's what joy is. Joy is that sense of satisfaction, that deep sense of satisfaction. It doesn't matter how broke you are or how sick you are or what you don't have because you know you have everything in Christ. That's what you have when you start saying yes. Ask Colton and Brian and Kelsey about that. Now, yesterday they, uh, they went to visit a little girl who had terminal cancer. And this little girl, her name is Olivia, and she lives in Ashtabula. Her mother was actually a really good friend of mine, or her grandmother. Uh, her name is Brenda. Worked with Brenda for a long time. Brenda died of cancer. Olivia has been a little bit of a celebrity. She's been, uh, she's been on the news. She has uh, pictures with the president, and she's met several celebrities, and even Baker Mayfield, okay? Even knows Baker Mayfield. Now, I'll be really honest with you. Like, I don't even know how they were connected. They got connected. Like, I don't even know who knows who there, who, who made the arrangement to, for them to get together. But I know that these four young people showed up at her house yesterday to make Olivia and her family dinner. And I know that everyone felt connected and they enjoyed each other's company and I know that they're planning another visit. So Brian got home last night and uh, he said, Brian's always smiling. Well, he's not always smiling. Look, that net boy's never smiling before noon. But when he does smile, he's got a nice smile. And he came home yesterday, he was smiling. And he was telling me about this visit. And it became clear to me that they didn't go to get recognition. They didn't go because they wanted to feel good about themselves. They didn't go because they wanted people to talk about how great they were. They went because they understood and they understand that God is intensely focused on accomplishing his purposes in the world through the participation of his people. Brian and Colton and Kelsey and Hannah understand that the work of Jesus in the world is just loving that little girl, loving her in big, big ways. So they said yes. They didn't think about how, you know, are we going to impose 
Will they say yes? Do they want us there? Like all that stuff that we sort of think about when we try to convince ourselves out of doing the things of God, they just went. And as I talked to Brian, I could, uh, I could see the joy. I saw a big smile and he was talking. Man, no, that's Brian, where's he at? He's like, man, God's so good. God is so good. But he says it like he's from New York, you know. God is so good. And, and I know that as I talked to Brian, as I listened to Brian, and that family saw a glimpse of Jesus in them. And it was their joy and honor to do that work. This is the place where God expects all of us to be. A place where we're not just satisfied with showing up to church one Sunday a month or even four Sundays a month. A place where we're not just satisfied lifting our hands and singing. A place where we are seeking out ways to be bold and obedient. How can I be bold for God? What can I do to honor Jesus? If there's no restrictions, and I don't care if there are any, what can I do to honor Jesus? Because the righteous are bold as a lion. A place where we're not afraid to be bold. A place where we're looking for opportunities to be generous and loving a place where we're unafraid to invest in the lives of other people, where we're praying for opportunities to give more of ourselves so that we can show Jesus to the world. You see, that's the radical minimum standard. The radical minimum standard of knowing and following Jesus. If God is real, if Christ is real, if Jesus truly came into the world to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, it means that we are all called to show the earth what heaven looks like. That's all around us. And we get to say to the world, here's what it looks like. Here's what heaven is. And I don't do it perfectly, but I worship Jesus and he can show it perfectly. And here's who he is. Now, what I want to do today as we close is I want us to pray. And as we pray, and I'm going to come down to you, as we pray, I want to pray for a couple things. Can you guys stand up? I want to pray... for motivation. I want to pray that we'll see the beauty of that and the beauty of things that we don't have pictures to display. That lady at the grocery store when you bought her groceries and she was in front of you and she couldn't, she couldn't afford it and you said, hey, I'll, I'll pay. Or that stranger that you, that you met and you said, can I pray for you? Or that moment you asked your, your, your mom for forgiveness or that moment you went and talked to your neighbor who you haven't talked to in 10 years and you said, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I want to pray for the motivation to make that routine in our lives. I want to pray for the motivation to be a part of heaven touching earth. I also want to pray for conviction. And conviction is a dangerous word. 
When we say conviction, what we mean is that God will supernaturally press on our hearts. He'll press and he'll say, knowing me is more than what you think. Knowing me means more of you. I'll never let you down. I'll never forsake you. But knowing me is more. It's saying yes. The third thing I want to pray for is that we're not afraid. There's an element of fear when we want to give more of ourselves to Jesus, isn't there? What will I lose? What will I have to stand up against? What does radical generosity look like? What does radical love look like? I want to pray that we are not afraid that we can trust in Jesus to make a movement in our hearts and make a movement of love and generosity and grace so that everyone who encounters us will say, something is different about her. Something is different about him. Who is this Jesus? And as they see you, they will not be able to keep themselves from knowing wanting to know who he is. They will not be able to keep themselves from wanting to worship. Let's pray together, church. And I want want you to do is that weird thing we've done one time before is that just put your hand out and grab the person next to you. Can you just do that? Lord Jesus, this is your church imperfect, bruised, and broken, lonely, lost, hurting, but triumphant and victorious and courageous and bold and steadfast and strong and faithful and loved because of you, Jesus, because you are in our midst, because you empower us and give, all, give us all that we need not only just to survive, but to thrive in you. So as your church, Jesus, we pray for the motivation, the motivation to say yes, so we can be, in, that you, that we can be inserted into your story. Lord, we're not just okay with sitting here. We're not just okay with living a mediocre life, Jesus. We want you to take over all of us. So Lord, we want to pray for that conviction that pressing on our spirit, pressing on our hearts so that when there is injustice, we will step forward. Where there is poverty, we will step forward. Where there's loneliness, we'll be a heart that loves. Where there's prisoners, we can listen. Where there is the sick, we can pray. Where there is lost, we can guide them back to you because you are the good shepherd. Father, we pray that you cast out any spirit of fear that we may have. We want to have confidence in you knowing that it's through your work and your might and your strength that we can accomplish all things. And if you are with us, God, who can be against us? So Jesus, today... As we close our service and worship, we just want to say, yes, Jesus, yes, 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 yes. And all the people of God said, amen.